what most churches teach about tithing today is completely wrong. And what that means is that what most of us believe about tithing is wrong as well. And it's simply because we don't know. We struggle to separate what the Bible actually says about tithing from what we have been taught for years. Whether you've been taught about tithing from your pastor or your church, or whether you're a pastor who's seminary trained, we have missed and misunderstood so much of what the Bible has to say about tithing. And here's the biggest danger that comes with that. When we misunderstand or don't know what scripture says about tithing, tithing and giving are one of the things that are most easily manipulated and used to exploit and hurt people in churches. So one of the best ways that we can guard against not only theological misunderstanding, but against spiritual abuse in the church is to have a good grasp of what the Bible actually teaches about tithing. And the coolest part is when you understand what the Bible teaches about money giving and tithing in the New Testament, it will bring an incredible freedom. You're still going to be generous. You're going to make an impact, but you're going to do it in freedom instead of under obligation. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this episode. Hey, one more note before we get started. We did have some technical difficulties on this episode that we did not realize were going on until after we were done recording. They mainly affected the audio. So we've done our best to doctor that audio up, but we didn't want to have to re-record this whole conversation because it was a powerful conversation. So I want to apologize in advance. The audio is not up to its normal quality, but if you'll bear with it, this is still a fantastic episode that you don't want to miss. So with that out of the way, let's jump in and get started. What we've learned is there's three separate ties. They're not all 10%. It's all produce and grain and animals. It's all tied to people. It's never been money. And when it even it gets exchanged to money, it has to get exchanged back. And let's be real clear, all of this for Israel, not for Gentiles. Now, we don't see another mention of tithing because the Mosaic Law is ending. That's it. The entire Mosaic Law, that's tithing. That is not a lot of verses. Probably felt like it as people were listening to it. But it's not a lot of verses. We don't see tithing again until Chronicles. Second Chronicles, if you're familiar with the Bible, we've moved forward, forward a lot in time. Okay, We don't hear about tithing again. Now, most churches talk about it every week. That's how many times it was in the Bible. I'm not counting them right now, but in a lot. Second Chronicles 31, 4 through 6, it says this, And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, again, who's the tithe for priests and Levites, that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. Why are we giving? One, they don't have land, but also we want them to give themselves to the ministry. Part of the reason why we pay pastors, so they can give themselves some ministry. We don't pay pastors to do ministry. We pay pastors so they don't have to do something else because the ministry is taking time, okay? Now, as soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of their grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce, the produce of the field. They brought it in abundantly, a tithe of everything. 
we have fast forwarded a whole lot of years. A whole lot of years. There's a temple now. There are kings now. Everything's changed. And guess what? They definitely used money. Some people go, well, the tithe was always about money. It was always about money because they didn't have money. No, no. Look back at history. They had money. They bought plenty of things. And it was still not about money. They gave abundantly, but none of it was money. And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought the tithe of their cattle and their sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord and laid them in heaps. It was all produce. It was all grain. They could give some things. None of it was money. Go back and go back and read. Go back and look at history. By the time we had the Israelite kings, they had, they had plenty of currency. Things were, you, you still had an agricultural barter society, but you also had currency. If the tithe was about money, would it not have been explicit there that they gave money? Well, you would think so, but a lot of pastors or churches will, will twist that and say, well, that's basically what it's still saying. It's still saying you're giving your best. You know, that's just, you know, back then it was, you know, the, the, there was a lot uh, uh, ingrained in wine. But if you converted it to money, it wasn't allowed to stay money. And key, it was still a reminder, this is for the Levite, y'all. None of it went to the temple. It was laid in a heap. It was brought later to the storehouse, right? Now, have you noticed we're not talking about storehouses yet? Because like, there's a whole bunch of different things. You got heaps, you got tents, you got all that. Now, you go to Second Chronicles 31, 11 through 13. Then Hezekiah commanded them to prepare the chambers in the house of the Lord. So now we get special chambers in, in the temple. And they prepared them, and they faithfully brought in the contributions, the tithes, and the dedicated things. The chief officer inside of them, it tells you who it was. It gives you a bunch of names, right? That's the first time we see that they're bringing them into like special chambers and stuff. It wouldn't be enough to hold them. Here's where storehouses come in. Because there wasn't enough to hold them in the temple, right? Storehouses were created to store the grain. And there were places created to hold the animals and stuff because that's what the Levites were living on. But those storehouses were not in the temple because there were only a few chambers in the temple and they filled up. Okay. Now, we don't hear about tithing again until the prophets. So we don't hear about tithing again until after the exile and the return because Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah 10, 36 through 38. Also bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and bring the first of our dough and your contributions, the fruit of every tree, wine and oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns that we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe and the tithes of the house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. Now we see chambers of the house of God and chambers of the storehouse. Still all for the Levites. The Levites receive it because it's to take care of their physical needs. Still not money. After the exile. After like living in Persia and Babylon. So just go look back at history. Money's a huge deal. Still not money. Nehemiah 12, 44, on that day, the men were appointed over the storerooms and the contributions and the first fruits of the tithes to gather them into the portions required by the law for the priest and the Levites. So we see the storehouse again. 
Nehemiah 13, 5, right? Uh, it says that Tobiah, they prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tides, grain, wine, oil, all of that, which were given by commandment to the Levites. It reminds us again, this commandment's for the Levites all the way through, okay? Um, and then in Nehemiah 13, 11 through 13, this is all saying something. It may sound a little boring. It is all saying something very important. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. All right, so he has to correct them again. They're still bringing it for the Levites, right? But now we've got so much when people are being obedient, it took multiple storehouses, okay? The last and final mention of tithing in the Old Testament, and I'm going off of, there's one more mention of tithing, but it's a slightly different variation of the word, and it actually means tenth, and that would be, or two more. It's Abraham and Jacob. Abraham tithed one time, and then Jacob committed to tithe before the Lord. We'll talk about those. Those are different tithes. Those are used incorrectly to say the tithe was before the law. This practice of the tithe was only the law. It was always for the Levites. It was always grain. It was always you know, cattle, all of that. But this is the one people know because this one gets preached on. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. It's the final Hebrew mention of tithing in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament. Will man rob God? And what's happening here? They had stopped being faithful with the tithe. Okay. Will man robbed God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? You're robbing me in your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. There is a whole lot of guilt and shame you could feel there. Who was he talking to? Malachi was a prophet, and he was a prophet to who? Israel. To correct the nation of Israel. The last words they would hear from God for 400 years, okay? Was Malachi talking to Gentiles at all? Doesn't serve Now, we know Scripture is inspired, so we can learn from this. We can take from this. But the original audience was that message for Gentiles. Original audience, no. Um, I would argue, though, that we've been grafted in. Okay. so So I think it's definitely applicable to us. No, I get that. But this was, can we just agree, this original message of correction, it's to the Israelites, okay? Because they're not being faithful to the law, which was both theological, it was religious, and it was for their people. It was so their government would run well, all right? Now, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, not just the temple. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Churches teach today the church is the storehouse. When he said, bring the tithe into the storehouse, was he talking about the church, the Gentile church? Okay. Can we be sure that he was even talking about the temple? No. Actually, when you read history and you read what scholars believe, they believe there were multiple storehouses by this point and the storehouses were separate from the temple. We never hear about storehouses being made in the temple. So there's at least, at minimum, a very good argument that this wasn't even going to the temple. It's still going to take care of the Levites. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Do we have any real references of God's house being the church before the church existed? 
What was God's house? The temple. Was it the temple though? Because God also talked about the house of Israel. Mm. His people. The promised land where he dwelled among them. Bring the tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. There are kids in my house, Levites, without food. The temple didn't need food. It was the people, right? And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, after that, I'm not going to read it. He talks about, you know, it'll be pressed down, shaken together, all that. Yeah, but those are agricultural terms. Would you agree? <laughs> because they're talking still about agriculture. I say all that to say this. The tithe in the Old Testament law was never once money. Even when the whole last section of tithing was in times where they used money as much as agriculture, it was also always for the Levites or for the poor. Right? And that only happened every three years. None of it that the people gave went to the temple. It was only the tenth that the Levites themselves gave that went to the temple. And we're told you have to give your 10% to the church, only the church. And I've been taught many times you shouldn't give that 10% to any other nonprofit or anything else. It comes to the storehouse, to God's house, to your church, to your expression, to your gathering before it goes anywhere else. And if you give to anywhere else, you're disobedient. Now, after your 10% comes to the storehouse, to your church, then any offerings you want to give, they can go anywhere. We'd also like some of them. We'll throw special offerings to try to get as many of them as possible, but those can go other places. Okay? And don't even get me started on offerings because all the offerings in the Old Testament were, they were usually things like burn offerings. Okay? Three separate tithes, all four people, None going to the temple, all agricultural. Would we agree? What do you think about? I'm thinking that I would love to take a metal bowl into the church with a ball full of $100 bills and go burn it at the altar of the church. Or maybe ones, maybe not hundreds, <laughs> but uh, $1 bills and burn it at the altar because it would be glorious. That would be a burn offering that I actually think would put a smile on the face of God, except for the fact that it's a felony in the United States to burn money. But... Okay, don't recall. <laughs> but I think uh, I think it would be glorious to go burn money at the altar, and because I think it would just absolutely blow people's mind. But just like the burn offering of the of the cows of the sheep, whatever. You know, people are going, well, that money could have gone to help somebody. Well, so could have the burnt offering could have fed, fed somebody too. And But just a burnt offering of mammon to to God. I'm just thinking, man, that'd be glorious. I can just see it in my mind. Yeah. Well, and I, so I will take a break because we're about to jump in the New Testament. And there's only like three um, references and two of them. Um, one's in Matthew, one's in Luke. They're literally the same thing. Gospel writers telling the, the same story, but it's in two places, right? Um, but before we get into that, I will just say, I don't know what's going on with the balloons, but they've went through like multiple more times. So I don't know if y'all are seeing them. 
but I'm not going to be able to edit that out if that's happened the entire time, most likely. So if you've seen party balloons, I have no idea what we're doing. It's like, I've got a new computer, and I'm not sure if I got like a, a voice-activated situation on this version of the software that I'm using. But anyway, so it just, I say certain things, I get excited, and it just party plays. So anyway. Well, I immediately thought about when you were, were, were uh, expressing that thought, um, back about like it, the money is the root of all evil. It, I, it, and money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Well, but get so wrong. There's it's the love of money is the root of all kinds. All kinds. See, and that's why all pastors should be able to be corrected like that, right? You know, that's good. So before we move on to the New Testament, and again. And there are going to be people who go, dude, that podcast, I didn't like you because you used all that scripture. But this is the whole point. When we know scripture, we cannot be manipulated. We cannot be used because we understand what God wants, and it leads to freedom, even scripture that's hard to understand. Okay, now, what has, so far, I've given you all what sticks out to me. What sticks out to you when we've looked at the entire Old Testament history of tithing outside of Abraham giving to Melchizedek and Jacob um you know, making a commitment to give a tenth of all he had to the Lord. That to, to make them be able to live, to help them be able to live. People taking yeah. care of people. There wasn't a single temple mortgage payment paid out of that. Nobody's salary. It was for people, from people. So what stands out? Actually, um, the Levites were supposed to pay those mortgage payments. <laughs> so you're supposed to die uh, in food to the Levites. Yeah. So also go get go get go go to the grocery store and start tithing in groceries. Here <laughs> Kroger gift cards. Here's you can your, convert this into groceries. Here's your quinoa. Quinoa. Out of all the things you could have chosen, you went with quinoa. Here's your quinoa and blithers. Yeah. And, uh, uh, because it was all it was all like produce. Most of it was produce. Yeah. It, it was your first animals, actually. What it was so it was your firstborn animal. So, but it was like here's all your uh, produce. There's some tomatoes and avocados. You know, <laughs> avocados from Mexico. <laughs> not not sponsored. I just like the jingle. Anyway, <laughs> but you go tithe in that, and then say, okay, now pay the mortgage with this because. Because you're supposed to tie ten percent of my groceries <laughs> into the mortgage. <laughs> if we get biblical with this, pastors are going to be pissed. I would have been. How am I? How are you supposed to write my paycheck with that? You know, when I was a day to day ministry. But think about this: even if it was money, which it has never been so far, would we agree with that? Okay, that blows people's mind. And and, and if you say that produce and animals were the same as money, you don't understand history at this point. Okay, you could have said that potentially in Leviticus. You can't say that in Malachi. You can't say that in Chronicles, right? Now, can't say it in Nehemiah. But if we did do money and we tithe money, but we did it this way, okay, we're gonna tithe the church. Everybody tithes the church. Everybody gives ten percent. And the church, what they do because there's no Levites, we make it all the poor tithe, okay? And we make sure that no one in our communities have needs. By the way, that's super New Testament biblical because the early church in Acts, they all shared their possessions and took care of everyone so that no one had needs. Okay, anyway, right? But let's say we did that, and we said, okay, guys, but here's what we also want you to do, because this is the closest we can be to the tithe. Pastors, we want you to take a tenth of everything that comes in, and out of that tenth, that's what you pay your salary and the salary of any other staff members out of it, 
And if there's not enough, we don't hire. This is what it has to do. And this is how you pay for all ministry. A tenth of the tenth. I honestly think if that happened, people would actually give more because you would know the majority of it's not going to salaries or to people's livelihoods. And I think they would give more because they would go, hey, one, we can meet more needs. Two, I'm watching these people struggle. I'm watching that we don't have enough staff because there's not enough left out of the tenth of the tenth, right? But here, neither here nor there, I think it's super cool that it was never about money. It was always for people. And it just reminds me, I'm going to throw a couple of things out. There are no Levites. We can make an argument. People do make an argument that modern day pastors are Levites, but we cannot make that argument biblically because not every Levite who got this was a priest, right? It was actual people. So I think it's safe to say we cannot do any of the three biblical tithes 100% properly because there's no Levites. We can do the poor tithe properly. Also, keep in mind that added up to 23 to 30% of people's income in any given year. Not all of these happened all of these years. Okay, so let's, let's move on though. Hey, Church Disrupted community, if you've experienced religious trauma, church hurt, or spiritual abuse, and you want to heal and let go of your triggers and hurt, then we want to help. The Forgiveness Link and the East Tennessee Mentorship Association are two partners of the podcast that exist to help you leave your trauma behind and start living your best life. Church hurt and spiritual abuse don't have to hold you back anymore. Rob and the Forgiveness Link team will help you leave your trauma behind and experience massive healing in as little as eight weeks. Their intensive process, it's faith-based, practical, and extremely powerful. I've experienced firsthand the transformative power of the Forgiveness Link process, and I would love to see you experience it as well. Dustin Stitt and the East Tennessee Mentorship Team, they'll help you find healing from a different approach. This veteran-owned business is faith-informed and will walk through the healing journey at your own pace with you. From groups to individual sessions, they'll help you continue to take consistent steps forward toward the person that you want to be and the life that you want to live. Both partners can help you transform your life and we believe in both of them. One is more clinical and delivers fast-paced results, and the other is more relational and works at the pace that you commit to. But please, 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 please don't stay hurting on your own. Your church hurt experiences, they don't have to define you, and they don't have to hold you back any longer. If you're ready to step into healing and leave your trauma behind, please reach out to one of our partners. You can find out more information about them in the description below or at disruptedchurch.church on the partners tab. You can meet with either of our partners at no cost just to hear how they'll work with you. And also they'll let you know about special rates they have just for church disrupted community members. But regardless of which of these two partners you choose to work with, you'll be in good hands. And I can't wait to hear how your life has changed for the good, for the better, because you work with them. Out of the two instances of tithing, three verses, two instances in the New Testament, one was mentioned by Jesus, and this is used, these two verses are used by most pastors inappropriately, out of context in my opinion, and a lot of them don't know. They were taught this in seminary. I was taught this in seminary. It's wrong. 
In my opinion, it's wrong. But we use these two verses to say this shows us that tithing is a New Testament concept and it never stopped. Okay? The first one, Matthew 23, 23. This is Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I love that the way Jesus talks to religious people. They get mad when I talk that way, but Jesus taught that way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe the mint and dill and cumin. You tithe 10% of your mint, dill, and cumin. What are mint, dill, and cumin? Yeah, it's agriculture. Just throw that out there. He's talking to these Pharisees, these Jews following the law. You tithe a tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin. Still not money because it's never been money. And under the law, it's not allowed to stay money. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And here's what a lot of pastors today will say. I've, I've even taught this. So cheap center over here. But I'm telling you. As someone who doesn't work in the church day to day right now, this is it's just it's not okay. When Jesus said these things you ought to have done, we go, see, he said you ought to have tithed. That's Jesus endorsing the tithe. Who is Jesus endorsing the tithe to? Israel. Pharisees, who are members of Israel under the law, because in that moment, were they not still under the old covenant? Yeah, and they were, I mean, a key word in that. Um, messages hypocrites. So what he was doing was pointing out um, the inconsistency in their beliefs. Yep, you know, or in their actions. So that, a lot of that had to do with pointing out inconsistencies, um, as much as it was referencing the tithe. Yep, it was. It was not, in my opinion, even a good reference to the tithe. He was using that as an example. Yet we take theology from it, right? But even if you take theology from it, there's two things important. Even if he was endorsing the tithe, he was still endorsing an agriculture-only tithe. And, okay, he was saying you need to do these, you need to do these other things. He was endorsing the agriculture-only tithe to Israelites under Levitical law. Balloons again. I really don't understand. I think it's every time I do the peace sign, too. I super think that's what it is. I know, like anyway. Okay, I'm getting distracted. But those are those are the two things. Are we Israelites under Levitical law? No. Okay. And are we um, are we talking about tithing to the church in agricultural standards? No, but I really like the idea. Okay. But so does that make sense though? Even if Jesus endorsed the tithe, that's not what we do as a tithe. It's not even close. Okay. Now, Luke eleven forty two, he says the same thing, slightly different. But I'm going to read it. So because if I say I'm not going to read it, because it's basically the same thing, somebody's going to let's see what you're trying to hide. I'm not. So. Luke eleven forty two, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, still agricultural, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others. These you ought to have done. Okay, so again to Pharisees, and again rue, mint, and every herb. Okay, none of those are the tithe today. I'm gonna read this because I don't want to get this wrong. This was somebody talking about this, and they said, um. When Jesus affirmed the tithe, it was before the dawn of the new covenant. Okay, so that's the first thing. Jesus hasn't died, resurrected yet. There's no new covenant under the blood of Jesus. So he's still talking to Levites under the law. He, he couldn't say anything to the Pharisees that didn't go with the law or he would be sinning. That's the covenant they're under. Some defend tithing by saying Jesus prays tithing. 
even if he said it was less important than other things. But Jesus also mentioned offerings and sacrifices in the temple, like in Matthew 5, 23-24. But Christians don't think that even if the temple was built, that we should do sacrifices of animals and burn offerings. It's just as much a part of the law as tithing. There's, there's, there's no temple. There's no anything else. If the temple gets rebuilt, are we going to make pilgrimages once a year to slaughter calves and do burnt offerings? No, we're not. We're picking and choosing what we want. And a lot of it is we're picking and choosing it because this helped religious people throughout history when they said, how are we going to take care of these ministers? Probably even started with a good heart, but it's manipulation. It is manipulation. Luke 18, 11 through 13. Okay. The fair is, this is, uh, sorry, there's, there's three instances about the tithe. I forgot about this. This is the, this is another one. This is the only other one Jesus talked about. Luke 18, 11 to 13. You have a Pharisee, okay? And then you you have a tax collector. They're praying. Here's what Jesus sees. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here, right? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything I get. Everything. So he said everything, didn't say money, but he did say everything. That's the first time we've ever seen it to where it could be argued it wasn't agricultural, but it's not clear that it wasn't agricultural. But it, he, he says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of everything I get. Look at me. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now Jesus goes on to ask which one was really right you know, before God, which one was really praying. But the whole point is people will use that and they'll go, see, Jesus endorsed the tithe again. If Jesus endorsed the tithe, he endorsed it twice and both times while scathing people who said, it's got to be this. It did the balloons again. Okay. Every time I do two, I got to be careful with that. Dude, how do you do two in a different way? I don't know. I don't know what to do with my hands. But literally both times he's correcting Pharisees and hypocrites. So if Jesus is endorsing a tithe, both times there's a negative connotation, even though he said it. Both times it's to people, Israelites, who are still under Levitical law to tithe. And then the very last reference to tithing in the entire Bible, Hebrews 7, 4 through 6. Hebrews is different than all of the other books in the New Testament. And one of the things that makes it different is who is it written to? Buck? The Hebrew. The Hebrew Jews. The Jews in Jerusalem. Yeah the Jews that had come out from under the law who were having different problems than the Gentiles, okay? And in this passage, Hebrews 7, 4 through 6, you can go back and read beyond that. In this passage, it's talking about the fact that Jesus is in the line of the priest of Melchizedek, but he's greater than Melchizedek. This is about the fact that Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. It's going to name tithing. It's not about tithing. And there's no command to tithe in it, but it says this, See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Talking about Abraham giving a tenth of his stuff to Melchizedek. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office and have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers. Though these are also descended from Abraham. Okay, so he's talking about the tithe from Melchizedek. He's talking about the tithe going to the Levites. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. In this one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say 
that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, that's a really hard scripture to understand. It would take a really long time to explain it. If you ever read Hebrews, Hebrews is really hard to understand. Hebrews is the hardest book in the New Testament Bible for me to understand. Revelation is easier for me to understand than Hebrews. And a big part of that is because we are not Hebrews. Not only do we not understand it, even if we get scholarly help, it was never really meant for us. Now, just like the rest of the Bible, it is inspired and there's things we can take from it. Very much so, like the Hall of Fame of Faith. Okay? But none of this, people will say, look, Hebrews talks about tithe, and since tithing happened between Abraham and Melchizedek before the law, that means tithe was outside of the law. So when the law ended, when the law was, was, was no longer being followed the same way in the new covenant, we still tithe because Abraham tied to Melchizedek. Now let's talk about this. When Abraham tied to Melchizedek, what was he tithing? Do you guys know? Um, from the spoils of war. Because they had gone and conquered the uh, kings uh, or the people that had stolen uh, the raiders that had scabbling hand, uh, he took part of it back. Abraham took 300 men and slaughtered two kings and all their people. And as you did in that day, they took off with wagons full of the spoils of war, everything that they could find. So th this one wasn't produce. Some of it was, but it wasn't just produce and animals. It was, it was everything. Then he meets Melchizedek, who is both a king and a priest right? And he gives him a tenth. We don't know if that actually means a tenth, but he gives him a tithe. We don't know if it means a tithe or just the top portion, right, of what was there. I sincerely doubt he went through and counted it all to make sure he got a tenth. But what he gave was not from his increase, but it was from his increase, but it wasn't from his wealth, right? It wasn't from his wealth. It was from the spoils of war, and it was one time. Which means if we use this to describe the tithe happened before, you know, the law, then it was a one-time tithe to a special holy man of God after the spoils of war. So, our tithe becomes one time. Or, you have to go murder people and kings and win a battle before you can give a tithe. Now, that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. You have some church members who really believe in tithing and they want to fight over tithing. You two fight, and the one who wins gets all the other guy's crap. He gets to keep 10%. You get 90% of everything else he has, and then you tie the 10% of that. We'll just have gladiator jousting matches in the church every other week with all the rich people. That would fix tithing. Yeah. I bet people would jump out of the church fast, right? But does that make sense? That, that, wasn't, that wasn't the same tithe, okay? And Hebrews never endorses the tithe. The only other mention of tithing in the Bible is Jacob when he goes to Bethel, and he just commits. He's so excited. He's had this dream. He's communed with God, and he says, I'll give you a tenth of everything I ever get. He committed, it says. It wasn't law. It wasn't required. It wasn't taken. It wasn't asked. He had an encounter with God and said, I commit. Now, that's super cool. It's not the same tithe. Also, we don't know what he meant by I'll give it to God because there were no priests and there were no Levites and there were no temples and there was nothing. So we don't even know what that means. We also, Jacob, we don't know if he did it. Because if you've read about Jacob, he's not a great dude in that part of his life, right? So all of that entire biblical, entire biblical purview before we get into like the history, right? What are you learning? What sticks out to you about what the Bible says about tithing?
for me, it's like, yay, Lord, thank you that I'm not one of these other people that don't tithe. I give my 10% and then you realize, <laughs> yeah, it's not 10%. There's a verse for that. Yeah, yeah. But it's not 10%, you know? So it's like, so all, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, I can go around, which I don't go around bragging about tithing, but but it's like sometimes you do feel good about yourself because you're like, yeah, Lord, I, I, you know, I'm giving, you know, I'm being generous in this area. And uh, then it's like uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying to me is, are you really? Are you really? Are you really living in generosity in this area? You know, uh, after you braggadociously at the beginning said, well, yeah, this is, as though I think that what I said earlier still stands, but it's like, am I really as generous as I considered myself to be when I walked in this room? For me, it, it helps me feel a little better. Uh, for the times that I felt guilty that I couldn't give money, but I did give in other ways. It's kind of like, okay, it, it legitimized that. Like, I still gave. It's okay. Yeah. Because it's it, what the, the, the point of it was to care for people. Yeah. Which is what Jesus, that's his business, in order to care for people. I would love to see someone who's in a bad situation and can't afford to tithe money that goes to church on Sunday and they're like, we can't tithe money. What can we tithe? And they bring in three cucumbers, two apples, and their dog. <laughs> well, yo. We'll give the dog away, though. The first dog, the, first the best dog. dog. <laughs> born. And if I've got multiple dogs, I get the firstborn, or do I get the best behaved? Yeah. I've got a new cat, and she's something else. Maybe I let me think about this. I'll take it. And I'll give her. Now, but so th this this blew my mind the first time. And again, I started this journey about six months ago, looking at this and going, "What I was taught in seminary does not line up." And even today, I was looking through books and stuff from you know from seminary and all that, and realized. So many of them actually gloss over this, and they just allowed us to fill in the gaps of what we'd already been taught. There is nothing about this, though, that looks like the modern tithe. The modern tithe is not Levitical law. The modern tithe we're doing is not biblical. It may be based on some of those principles, but it's not biblical. It wasn't commanded, and it is, would you guys agree, it's very loosely based on those principles, which means... That at some point, man-made decision to do this. So tithing is not bad, and if you want to tithe, go ahead and tithe. But also understand, when someone tells you you're being disobedient, if you don't tithe 10% of, of your income, the Bible doesn't say that, not one bit. Because there was never a money tithe in Scripture. Well, I mean, I just think all those pastors just want my sheep. I don't, I don't have animals, and I honestly want to buy some to take them to church. I don't want to do that to my pastor now. I'd rather just, you know, help them. I'll take it to the last church I left, you know, take them livestock, see what they think. Put this in your nativity scene. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's talk about church history. What does church history say about tithing? Maybe it fills in the gaps. <laughs> this comes from Britannica, like the encyclopedia. So would you guys agree? Reputable source does their homework. Like this is where we learn stuff. Okay. Oh, I've always learned from encyclopedias. They're apolitical. Was this online Britannica or was this a physical copy? 
I don't even think they do those anymore, but it was online, Britannica. Despite serious resistance, tithing became obligatory as Christianity spread across Europe. So when it happened, keep in mind, serious resistance. Now that could just be because we're sinful flesh people who don't like to give our money, okay? It was enjoined by ecclesiastical law from the 6th century and enforced in Europe by secular law, where they actually took it, or you would be excommunicated and thrown in jail from the 8th century to about the 1800s in Europe. Did you catch that? Mm -hmm. It started in the 6th century. You want to know exactly when in the 6th century it started? It was 567 AD. And I think that was the, that was one of the two, there were two councils that happened in the late 500s. I think that was the Council of Tours. I'm not positive. I'll see if I've got it in my notes here in a minute. But it was at one of those councils where they actually put the tithe in for the first time. So before 567 AD, from the moment Jesus died to 567 AD, we never saw the New Testament church, any history from Bible or church history, give a tithe. They gave offerings, but just like the two offerings Paul took in the New Testament, those went to poor people. I did the balloons again. Dang it. Okay. They went to poor people. Okay. And this is going to sound really stupid if it doesn't show up on y'all's version. I got to see if we're done. Uh, but seriously... Right. So that means that means the church lasted for over 500 years not taking a tithe. I'll have people argue with me and I will say, please give me your sources. And they can't. They can't. Right now, here's the thing. The Eastern Orthodox Church, a lot of people don't realize the difference. But the Eastern Orthodox Church basically split early on from the Catholic Church over a couple of disagreements. One of the main ones was about the, the line of the Pope. But the Orthodox Church is very much so like Catholicism, okay? The Eastern Orthodox Churches never accepted the idea of tithes, and Orthodox Church members have never paid them. They can, but it's not obligatory. It's not required. It's not a practice. That also is from Britannica. This one um, this one actually comes from a guy, um, John Martin of Evershot. He does some church history stuff. He said, for the first 500 years or so of the Christian church, no tithes were paid. Indeed, Christ himself said little about tithes, which we've seen, okay? And that which he did say was somewhat condemnatory. The tithe was a product of the Roman church. It was never, and that was about the time Constantine took reign, right? And started intermingling the church with government. It was a, a product of the Roman church. It was never claimed by the Eastern Orthodox churches. The, the sources cited the justification of the tithe all came from passages in the Old Testament. Okay. So this this guy, his, his, his look at history and his sources um, from Ministry Magazine. Ministry Magazine talked about it and they said, uh, hey, let's talk about the tithe. There's three different types of tithes, which we've talked about already. They called it the Levitical or sacred tithe, the tithe of feast, and the tithe for the poor. Right. And they say it added up to about 23% is their guess. Right. Um, let me see. Uh, Tidely, which I'm not a huge fan of Tidely. If you've looked at the, uh, you know, I'm not against them, but I think their systems help, you know, produce some toxicity around giving in the church, even if it wasn't on purpose. But if you watch the Miracle Offering documentary, you would, you kind of have seen some stuff from Tidely, but they did a blog on it. Um, and they talked about it later. The Old Testament required multiple tithes for the Levites, temple operations, and feasts, and the poor and unfortunate. In total, the tithes came out to 20 to 30% of incoming money, plus any additional voluntary giving of first fruit or free will offerings. So again, they say, if we're going to talk about the biblical tithe, we're talking about three tithes, which tithe are we talking about? Okay. Um, 
Here are some of the required tithes and offerings that the Israelites had to give. From another source, they said it was the first tithe, the festival tithe, and the poor tithe. So just giving you some different sources, and I can't remember where that one came from. That was that one was from Tidely. Again, breaking it down. So this isn't just me. This is other evangelical sources that a lot of churches are trusting saying the same thing, right? This one, I think, is going to make sure that you know we're all on the same page. So the tithe starts in 567 AD. This is from the uh, excerpt from the Catholic Encyclopedia, right? So we're looking at the Roman Catholic Church. Where did the financial tithe come from? We're talking about where did it become financial? As the church expanded and various institutions arose, because when Constantine got in bed with Christianity, that's when we started having a lot of buildings and a lot of support and all that. As the church expanded and various institutions arose, it became necessary to make laws which would ensure the proper and permanent support of the clergy. The payment of tithes was adopted from the old law. The earliest positive legislation on the subject seems to be contained in the letter of the bishops assembled at Tours in 567 AD and the Council of Macomb in 585. So in 585, that's when it was made mandatory, right? Where you could be excommunicated from the church. And 567 is when they started doing it. That's from the Catholic Encyclopedia. 500 years. The church didn't give tithes the way we do today, and they definitely weren't financial. It was a good reason. It was a good reason. They, they needed to pay ministers. But it was also, we're doing this fast expansion, we're doing all this. But we put it on, when we put it on like it's biblical, it's very different than saying a council in the Roman Catholic Church decided to do this. Because we don't do much else, because just for the reason that a council in, you know, 567 AD, that the Roman Catholics said we should do it. Um, as Protestants, we don't do a lot of the stuff, you know, that came from those, that came from that, that part of history. So uh, it's just another reminder that church history says this stuff wasn't a normal practice, right? What sticks out to you from the historical perspective? For me, it's the, uh, when it, it, it went into place and while Christianity grew, which was a great thing, um, as we know, if we were to continue to look at history and how much certain churches, beliefs, systems abused it, yeah, money, again, being abused. I mean, uh, if you look at some of the Catholic churches and their connections with kings and rulers, you know, that everything, I, it was all, it all revolved around that. I mean, you even have some new versions of Bibles being written, King James Version, Internet. Yeah. Well, in the next century after that was when you, after the institution of ties, was when you started getting things like indulgences. Yes. Uh, so, um, and you're also, you're, from what, you know, what I know, just teaching art history, art history and architecture, it says all this stuff is tied to camp. And so, uh, it's a controlling of people um, because a lot of them were illiterate couldn't read for themselves. They, and, it, and there were no Bibles for the it, Only the priests were allowed to read right. the Bible. And if they were, because prior to the, yeah, prior to the Reformation, you had to be a priest who was theologically trained to read Correct. the Bible in Latin. And so you were dependent on them to give you what the Bible said. And, um, and if they told you that you're supposed to get, how are they to question that? It's very controlling of people. The United States was the first Western nation that didn't actually 
the government wasn't involved in helping take the tithe to get back to the church. No. It's the first time it wasn't really taxed like that. Is it good that there was a system in place to help support a building with people who hopefully meant good, right? Because we're spreading the word of, mm-hmm. of, of Christianity and Jesus. Yeah. But, um, it, it, of course, humans are humans, and, and they have to hate this. And it's... Yeah. What sticks out to you, Buck? Um, so, first off, someone coming from someone that's very pro-giving, um, I mean, still pro-giving, that, that Tomei specifically was instituted under threat of condemnation, under threat of judgment, which was the excommunication, imprisonment, uh-huh. and all that. So, and it is mind-boggling to think that the way it's still taught is under threat of condemnation and guilt. You know, so the tithe was instituted under guilt, and it's still a cause of condemnation and guilt. Uh, you know, and that's, um, to me, that's that's a shame because it's, um, as someone that loves to give, not as, I'm not as generous as I thought I was, but uh, <laughs> as someone that loves to give, it, it breaks my heart to see the manipulation in it. Uh-huh. But, you know, and that's, you know, so to me, it's heart-wrenching and... It's just more, it's sickening the perversion of, of the, you know, part of the gospel message, part of the Bible. Yeah. And so to me, it invokes this uh, righteous anger of um, the way people have been hurt, the way people have been financially injured for 75% of church history. Uh-huh. Because the first twenty five percent, first quarter of church history, we lived off offerings and sharing our possessions, which took care of the needs people had. Man, we took care of people's needs, and, and church wasn't about a building. And then it needed, but it was, and that's the other thing. It needed the institution, or the institution needed the time. The institution needed a. Residual income. And it was basically men, think about this, who meant well. I'm sure they meant well. But it was church fathers who said, okay, well, what can we do? We're growing fast. We got to pay for these buildings. We got to pay these salaries. What do we do? Well, what does the Bible say that we could pull from? Well, there's that tide thing. So let's pull that. And again, nobody could check them. Nobody could do any of that. So now this has happened, though, and for almost 2,000 years, right? Like for, being 1800, something like that. I'm bad at math. It's happened for a long time, for over a millennium. It's become this practice. And I want to say this, most pastors who teach this, they don't teach this because they're trying to pull the wool over your eyes. They're not trying to manipulate you in this. This is what they think is right. And they're going to fight me over it because we we grew up with that being taught. We had that taught in seminaries. We had that taught by mentors. We've tithed and seen God bless when we've tithed. So because of that, it is there's so much cognitive dissonance when you actually come to a place where you go, the Bible doesn't say what I thought it said, right? That is so difficult. So I don't want people thinking your pastors are trying to manipulate you on purpose. But if you really believe this and you don't ever go check it and you teach it and you believed it your whole life and you're a pastor and you're trying to grow a church in the name of Jesus, then it becomes really easy to manipulate people for tithing and generosity 
for what are initially good reasons, right? But while we're doing this, we want people to get freedom and understand because one of the greatest ways, one of the most scary ways that people are manipulated in churches today and one of the greatest stains on the church today as far as culture looking at it is that we're all about money. When we, if, when we would review what the Bible says about tithes, I think we'd become way more generous, but we'd become so much more generous to our communities that people would start seeing the church as the people who give and the people who take care of them and the people who mean means. Absolutely. And something too that really hit home while we letting all this soak in a little bit was um, I remember a story of a, a a young girl who was, you know, on her own struggling, you know, but but you know, paying the rent, do paying the bills, doing everything she could. And during this extra giving season, she had a hundred dollars left during her room. A miracle offering to miracle offering and gave it. Because she felt pushed to do it, you know, guilted maybe, fearful, whatever. Like, I, I've got to get, I'm not giving enough. I'm not sacrificing enough. So I've got this $100 left and I'm going to get my last $100. So this girl probably went hungry and for a while. And if we go back to the biblical scripture, the tithe was to take care of people so they weren't starving. This is yeah. all very. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll throw one more out to you, and we won't talk about this in depth because I'm going to do an in-depth video that's not a podcast on this one. We didn't mention it when I talked to uh, Ken Arrington last episode on the Church of Business Bill or, or a couple of episodes ago, whenever that was. Um, but if you go back and you read the uh, passage about the uh, the widow's mite, we've perverted that too. Because if you read it, all it says, Jesus never said go and do likewise. Jesus never said she would be blessed. He said she gave everything, she gave more, and she gave everything she had to live on. Very important. The context right before that, he was correcting the Pharisees for devouring the houses of widows. And then right after that, she was putting that in the temple treasury, okay, which was just to go to make the temple more beautiful. It wasn't the tithe. It was something beyond that. Um, as soon as they walk out, the other apostles were like, hey, Jesus, look how beautiful all these stones are. And he says, yeah, and it's going to be torn down in three days. So right before the widow's mind, Jesus was actually correcting the Pharisees and going, you're devouring widows' houses. This, The next thing you see is a widow being devoured because she gives everything she has to live on. And then he says, oh, that thing she just gave to, it's about to be torn down in three days. It's not going to matter, right? The widow's mind is not about giving sacrificially. The widow's mind is about widows being devoured by religious people. That's how I connected with Ken. He had a, a video like five minutes long on TikTok breaking that down in a very humble way. And when I first watched it, I was like, that is so stupid. This guy's got it wrong. And then I went back and I read it and I read it again and I read it again and I read it again. I looked at commentaries and I was like, crap. I believed another lie, even with the seminary education, because that's what other people believed and taught me. And again, it's hard to undo the lens you have. It's very hard to look at scripture with a fresh lens. But when we do, we learn new things. So let's finish out this way. Um, I want to give you the pastoral perspective. I'm going to give you two surveys done anonymously with pastors. One was by the National Association of Evangelicals in 2011, okay? And one was by Barna Group, um, who does really good representative national surveys. And this one was done in 2022. So we can actually look at the, the two by two groups across a 10-year period, okay? 12-year period. Um, from the National Association of Evangelicals 2011, many evangelical churches regularly encourage their members to tithe or give at least 10% of their income. 
Yet according to the February Evangelical Leaders Survey, most evangelical leaders do not believe the Bible requires Christians to tithe. The survey showed that 58%, 58% of pastors surveyed, do not believe the Bible requires a tithe. Only 42% do. And I'm not saying pastors' opinions have a heavy weight. That's why we looked at, again, we looked at Bible first, church history second. But I think it's very telling that over half of the pastors surveyed over a decade ago, when they could get anonymous and not be held by all the stuff, so it's, not really, it's not really a thing. We teach it. For our livelihoods, it's not really a thing. So let's look at the 2022 Barna survey. Only one in three in 2022, this was a representative national survey, only one in three pastors, 33%, believed that the traditional 10% tithe should be the standard for church's giving. 20% of pastors feel congregants should give enough to be considered sacrificial, which for some people is nowhere near 10% because of struggling. And another 20% say the standard is as much as you're willing. Julie Roy's reported that after it came out from Barna. John MacArthur, I'm not a big fan of John MacArthur as far as how he acts. He throws some tantrums and stuff that I don't like, but he's long been known as one of the like conservative evangelical voices for biblical, like he, he stays true to, to biblical ideal, ideals. He's done a lot of commentaries. Like people really take his word as gospel and all these things. I thought he would be super pro tithing. Um, but it actually says, let me see, here's what he says on um, his website in different places, the Grace to You website. There are two kinds of giving, giving to the government, which is always compulsory, and giving to God, which is always voluntary. In the Old Testament, as Levitical priests were civil government, tithes were required taxes for funding the national budget in Israel. Right? So he talks about that being government tithing. He says, by the New Testament, Christians were not commanded to tithe anymore, but were rather encouraged to voluntarily give to the church in proportion to their wealth. Even New Testament passages like Matthew 22, Matthew 23, 23, and Romans 13, 1 through 7, Jesus was only referring to the Old Testament command to tithe, not advocating for the return of the requirement. Now, you go to Tithely and you look, they've got some other stuff, Ramsey Solutions, and they say things like on Ramsey Solutions, Dave Ramsey's website, what is tithing? A tithe is a portion, 10% of your income, given as an offering to the local church. I'm not picking on them. Tithely does the same thing. But when you see stuff like that, you have to say, that's not true. That's not true. And then they use Leviticus 27.30. A tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's and holy. And Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruit of your crops. And they extrapolate. And it, it actually says this. I highlighted this in red. Those gardening metaphors, this is from Dave Ramsey, those gardening metaphors may have thrown you off, but what these verses are really saying is to give a portion, specifically a tenth, of whatever you make back to God. I call bullcrap. It doesn't say that at all. It doesn't mean that at all, because that Levitical, like that Levitical command that he just said, that's not a gardening metaphor. That's what the gift was for the Levite, and it doesn't mean that you give 10% of what you make. This was for you know, that part of the scripture. And I don't think, again, I don't think Dave Ramsey did that on purpose. Dave Ramsey, I, you know, I, I think for, I, I don't believe everything that he says, but I think he's a good dude. People don't do this on purpose, but do you see how easily it is, how easy it is to be manipulated by money? And I've watched people 
their faith be destroyed by these money conversations, right? Here's what, and I'm not, I'm not going to read it because I, I honestly, I thought I had it and I didn't, but I'm going to paraphrase it. You can go back and read it. Check me on this. Check me on this. But in Corinthians, Paul said, okay, when he saw my giving, and if you want to look it up, you know, make sure I got it louder. Corinthians, no. uh, yeah, I think so. But he said, um, each man should give what he's decided to give in his heart, what he mm-hmm. thinks is right in his heart, not grudgingly and not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When the last church that I was at and other churches I've been at did the same thing, right? But when I had to basically sign a contract page in the employee handbook that said I would give 10% out of every paycheck out of my gross or I would be fired, is that not compulsion? I didn't have a problem giving the 10%, but now I had a compulsion. What if I screw up, right? And I always wanted to give more than 10%, but the compulsion screwed the heart up, right? Each man should give as he's decided to give. Now, here's the one other place, and I think it's in 2 Corinthians 2. It may be in like 7 because they talk about this in a few different places. But Paul was talking about taking up the offering from the Corinthians that they had promised to give a year before. to the. It was a relief offering to the poor uh, believers in Jerusalem, right? And they had said, we want to give this big offering. So they had committed to set aside a little bit for the offering every week for a year. And then he heard they weren't ready to do it. And there was a lot of reasons for that. But there is a scripture there where he tells them, hey, guys, come on, be ready for this. Set a pot, set aside a portion of your wealth every week, right? Now, a lot of pastors take that too, and they go, see, that's the tithe. Even if it's not 10%, set aside a portion every week and give it to the church. That was not what it's for. They were setting aside a portion every week for close to a year so that they could give to this big relief offering. That was just a plan. So they actually had something to give. It was not a command. He was saying, hey, guys, stay true to your plan. This is how you stay true to your plan. So that one gets twisted too, and I wanted to at least mention it. Yeah. Is that is that right? Yeah. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 9 is uh, what you were talking about, not begrudgingly. I'm not sure where the other one okay. is. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I can put that in the show notes. That's very easy to find. I just totally forgot and didn't, didn't put it down, and I don't want to be you know, looking through on camera right now. But um, churches would not be um, still with the pressure or hurt for uh, people to give. If if it wasn't, don't know if you you know manipulated and used it as enough to factor or whatever. By I mean, if you actually turned this around and and said, hey, give, you know, we we have to have the lights on, we have to and, and, heat and air, we have to pay our staff. I think we want to help. Let's be very transparent about what we need to stay open to be a church to serve you and to serve the community. Give what you can. Yeah. I want you guys to think about this real quick. I'm going to tell you mine first. Oh, it'd be a ton better. I'm going to give you mine first, but I want to give you time to think about this. This is how we'll land the plane today. But I want you to think about your takeaway. What's your takeaway from this? I'm going to give you my takeaway because I think what people expect right now is for me to go, we need to stop tithing. Tithing's unbiblical. We need to walk away from it. It's manipulative. Stop giving to the church. And that is not my takeaway at all. My takeaway is this. The New Testament calls us to live a life of generosity. Mm-hmm. That when we see a need, we ask if we can fill that need. And we give it sometimes on faith. It sometimes is very sacrificial because we know that God will come through for us. But we give generously when we feel in our heart it's the right thing to do. The giving should never be done under compulsion. And if you feel guilt at your church or compulsion, give to another church or another nonprofit. Your church may tell you that's not okay, but if they do, that shows that they don't understand New Testament giving. 
I'm not even telling you to leave the church because of that. But if there's ever compulsion, we're not we're we're, we're literally ruining the art of giving. But outside of that, give generously. Give generously with a cheerful heart. Give to people as much as we're giving to institutions. Give to institutions and churches that give the most to people instead of hoarding it. But we should give. And I actually say this, I'm not against tithing. I still teach my kids. Tithing is a great principle because I think my first 10% is a really good aim. It's a really good marker. Don't feel guilty if you can't get there. But I think it's a good marker for learning how to be generous in rhythm. Um, but again, I want to get to a place, I'm putting money back right now. Like Candace and I are putting money back and stuff. I want to get to a place where, again, if our neighbor needed a roof or a friend we have needs a roof, that we can literally pay for the roof. Like big time generosity where sometimes we're just holding it so that we can do the things when when God calls. We're given to multiple churches. We're given to multiple nonprofits. I'm not against giving. My takeaway is that if we embrace New Testament generosity, if churches would stop it with the legalism and we would embrace New Testament generosity, I think most Christians across their lifetime would give so much more than 10%. It'd be silly. I think we're actually holding ourselves in handcuffs with 10%. And I think if we would start giving more to people like the Levites, like the poor, and less to just programs, I think people would be drawn to Jesus and we would want to give more and more. I know some people who don't know Jesus. They are not religious people. And they're some of the most generous people I know because they won't give to churches. But around times like Christmas, they're like kids in a candy store because they want to give to every child, make sure every family is taken care of. So I'm not anti-giving. I believe if we'd embrace generosity, we would give so much more. And even the biblical tithe in the Old Testament that was for the Israelites and not for us, in my opinion, it was so much more than 10%. But what God wants us to do, God wants us to give generously and learn faith, not compulsion, not shame, not condemnation. So my call, my takeaway from this, give generously. Give as you feel like God calls you to give where he calls you to give, including the church. Don't be scared to take care of your church because churches need our help to take care of them. But also don't be scared to give to other places. So while the tithe is not biblical, in my opinion, generosity will take care of every need. So just let's be generous. What do you guys think? What's your takeaway? That's my takeaway. For me, everything you said, I completely agree with. Like, I, And, you know, the, the generosity part, um, but it, we we just gotta help. We gotta be better at taking care of each other. To me, that's been the church. Yeah, I would love to see a church where we give severances to every person who ever gets fired without an NDA, simply because we love you and God's people want to take care of you. Love to see a church where the poor in the community are always taken care of first by the church, not other nonprofits. We're not there yet, but we can get there. And for pastors who are listening, can I just say this to you? Um, the biggest takeaway I would have for us as church leaders, and I consider myself still in that boat, let's be really careful that we're trying to engage people's hearts cheerfully and giving. And anytime you realize that you've caused guilt or shame or compulsion, even if it was by accident, apologize, make it right, and move on. I really do believe your people will give more than enough for your church. Our faith, Buck, and I'm going to say this because you've been in ministry too, I actually think it takes more faith from a pastoral perspective to just teach people to be generous and have the faith that God will take care of us in our church than it does to push faithfulness in the tithe. 
because we know if people give anywhere near 10%, we're going to be okay. Um, even if just 20% of the people give 10%, we know we're going to be okay. It takes a lot more faith for me to go, God, I'm just going to teach generosity and I know you'll take care of me and I know you'll take care of my church. So let's be faithful. All right. Uh, my takeaway, um, well, first off, um, not that I've elevated my opinion of myself and giving, but, you know, that's a huge takeaway, you know, like um, that, you know, it's not, you know, man, it, it's not about, it's not about looking at it and saying, you know, I'm giving so much, you know, or I'm sacrificing even. And some gifts we're call are called to be sacrificed, but it's, there's also, um, it's, he doesn't desire sacrifice. He made the sacrifice. He desires obedience. We said in the scripture, I don't desire sacrifice. I desire mercy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's mercy, uh, obedience. Um, it's on another scripture or it's a different version, but it uses obedience there. And because obedient to be obedient requires faith. Mm-hmm. And so what he desires from us is faith. Um, and for us to be faithful in our generosity. Um, and it brings me back to this scripture. Um, in Second Corinthians 9, it says, yes, and this is the NLT, but uh, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. You know, and in that, earlier in that passage, it says, um, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That's right. And so he, we're, we're called to be a generous people. And so for me, like tithe, we use the word tithe. That's a very Christianese word. I think 10% for me is just a good, is a good benchmark. Yeah. You know, it's like we want to give 10% to our local body. My local body is amazing. You know, our pastor's amazing. I trust the heart. I see the ministry they're doing. I'm glad to be able to support them and support what they do. I I was dogging on serving in the church earlier in the way that the resource, you know, time resources. But I serve in my church. Uh, like I work in the kids ministry because that is something I feel called to do because I have kids in that kids ministry. And um, so I do it because I feel called, not because I've been guilted or shamed or pushed or compelled in any way to do it. I do it because it's because I'm being obedient and joy comes from obedience. And the same thing with generosity. But I think so much of the time, um, we just need to learn to hear the voice of the Lord, hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, follow the umptions of the Holy Spirit, follow those leadings, and just walk in faith. Because it's walking in faith and walking in faithfulness is what he desires. And whether that's 1%, whether it's to the church, whether it's to some other ministry or whether it's to your neighbor down the street. Wow. It's just being faithful and obedient in, in that, in that calling and in those promptings from the Holy spirit. Yeah.
Well, guys, this was this is why I wanted y'all to specifically to be here. I knew even in times when y'all weren't talking, like looks and things you do, and y'all bring out the best in me. I know you both had very unique perspectives on this. We didn't prep this. Y'all didn't know what I was going to say, um, where we were going to go biblically. Um, but I think this was a fantastic episode. It's a long episode. It's going to be different for a lot of people. And not everybody likes episodes where we get real theological, but I think it's the way we change the church, right? I, I really, really do. So we're all very pro-giving. We're all very pro-church, much more so than people think. But here's what I hope. Even if you listen to this thing and you disagree with us completely, my hope and my prayer is that you found you learned something and you found some level of freedom in this podcast. And if you didn't learn anything else, I hope that this pushes you, even if you think I'm an idiot, I'm totally wrong. I hope this pushes you to more fervently be in the word, right? To not just trust what man has said, but to actually say, what did God say? What has happened in church history? Because it'll make us all better. But if you've enjoyed this episode, if this has helped you, if this has helped you find freedom in any way, please share it with somebody else. I'm not just saying that for likes and comments or any of that. But please share it with somebody else because this is this is the kind of content that I think can really transform Christians' lives. And when we start dealing with money differently and living hyper generous, I think our communities are going to take notice. I think people who have long given up on the church are going to take notice. And I honestly believe if we would just handle wealth and generosity well, without manipulation, without compulsion, it might be one of the greatest tools we could use for the gospel to see people saved in the kingdom. So um, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if that's your goal or if you're just, you're dealing with triggers every time we talk about church because of money. If this has helped you, if you found freedom in any way, please share it with somebody else that you think it would help. Send them the link, let them know. And guys, thanks for hanging out with us this long. So anything else y'all want to share with the listeners before we jet today? Just be generous. Love, attention, time. I mean, I think, oh man, that's, that's probably where I'm the least generous is, is in my attention and in my presence. A lot of times I can be very easily distracted. Yeah. And so that's one of the places, you know, for me personally, just speaking about generosity is, you know, the Lord's been speaking to me and convicting me about being generous with my uh, presence, but especially with my family. Yeah, you know, so it, but we're just called to generosity above all else of everything. Yeah, right. Um, well, guys, awesome episode. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I might look like a crazy person if y'all didn't see the balloons the whole time, but I'm gonna try something as we end. We love you guys. Peace. I don't think it worked. All right, we'll see you guys. <laughs>